Praise the Lord, everyone. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen on a Wednesday night. Amen. God is so good. You can be seated. I just wanted to start out the service by just thanking everybody um, for all the work and and being a part of Stand Conference. I know there was a lot that went on behind the scenes with cleaning up and making food and vacuuming and all that sort of thing. And uh, I just appreciate everybody who got involved with that and helped out. I was, I don't know about you, but I was blessed by Stand Conference. And uh, it was uh, maybe just a little uh, different than an ordinary Stand Conference. Where I think we had one service where we actually, where we had music. And uh, Brother Holloway's, I think he accomplished what he came to do, and, and that was really to encourage the church um, to get into the Word of God. Amen. I know that coming out of Stan Conference, I'm like, I just, I want to know the Word better. I want to, I want to live the Word. I want to bear fruit. Um, and uh, so I come encourage, come out of stand conference, and I pray that, that you did as well, and uh, I just wanted to thank everybody for being involved and helping out with that. With that. I also just wanted to welcome Marissa and Grace um, to the sanctuary. Amen. They are, they are from Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, she's told me tonight she feels like a fish out of water. I'm not trying to embarrass her, but... Uh, that's a, a well-populated area. They went to Brother John's church. And uh, so please, after church, just go introduce yourself to them. They have moved to, to Bismarck, and um, we're just happy to, to have them part of the family. And I also wanted to, I think this is Caleb and Shannon's last service before they head, head down south. We didn't get a chance. John always tells me, like, after he's already gone that he's leaving because he doesn't want, want me to say this, anything over to the pulpit, but I think Caleb and Shannon are leaving at, leaving at the end of the week, and maybe one of these years they'll just stay. Amen. That might have been prophetic. It might not have been. You'll have to discern that, but they bought a house here now, fully remodeled house. Very, very nice house, just done perfectly for them. And... Uh, Anyway, we'll keep praying about that. But God is good. We're going to do something maybe just a little different tonight. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 11, and we are going to make our way halfway uh, through this chapter. And uh, after we get halfway through this, I am going to switch gears. Um, I do like doing series, and we are we got about five lessons left in this 1 Corinthians series. Um, I do like doing them. However, sometimes I feel handcuffed. Uh, because I, I have to do this on Wednesday night, and uh, I just feel like the Lord has um, something in addition to this as well. So I'll try not to be too long, but 1 Corinthians 11, uh, first verse is, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. This is the Apostle Paul, of course, I'm talking to the Corinthian church, and, and I just wrote even just a few notes on this first verse. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, of course, he was an apostle. He was sent by God, but he did know that he was following Christ. He knew he was very confident that he was following Christ. And, and after reading this scripture, I, I asked, we should ask ourselves, do we know? Are we confident that we are following Christ? Would we be comfortable enough to say to somebody, follow me? as I follow Christ? Would we be comfortable enough saying that, or would we most likely say, or, and I, I've even caught myself saying this, that, you know, don't look at me, just you look at Jesus. And, uh, and I think there's a, a humble part of that, but I think as followers of Christ and as those who are disciples and, and you know, we're also supposed to be discipling, that we should be confident in our walk with God, that people, um, we would be co comfortable with people following us as we follow Christ. Amen? I think that's okay. I think we can confidently do that, be a good example um, to people in, in discipleship. And verse 2 says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. And ordinances in this scripture is translated as tradition. And uh, of course, we, 
We do not want to follow after the tradition of men. The Bible warns, warns us of, of, of following after the tradition of men, but we want to follow after the tradition of the apostles. Okay, And this is exact. The apostle Paul is teaching um, literally the, the doctrine and the teachings that were given to him by Jesus. Okay, the apostles were given the doctrines to teach. So when we say that we want to follow after the tradition of the apostles, we are saying that we are following after the traditions or, or the doctrines and the teachings that were given to the apostles uh, by Jesus Christ. So Paul was very confident in what he was teaching. In verse three, it says, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. So we're gonna get into some spirit, spiritual authority and headship. So Paul said, I, I would ha- you should know this, that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. And we, we know that God is a God of order. Okay, he has an order to everything that he does. And he has an order to authority. And with authority, there comes accountability. And this is all part of God's order. And looking at this scripture, you know, one meaning of, of head in this scripture is source. Or, you know, you could say that the head of the river is the source of the river. But Paul in this scripture isn't just saying that man came from Christ and woman came from man and Christ came from God. That's, that's not um, the full uh, meaning of what Paul is saying. Um, it goes past just the source and that there is authority that comes from headship. And this is all part of God's divine order. Um, headship says that there is a rightful responsibility to lead. And in order for this to happen, okay, in order for proper headship to happen, there has to be uh, what we call submission. I call that the S word, submission. Um, And I'm here to tell you that we as Americans, we in our flesh, we don't like submission, We don't really like when somebody tells us what to do. We don't like when somebody disagrees with us. Um, Not in our flesh, at least. We do not like that. And we as Americans, we're we're fairly, we we grew up in kind of a, a very prideful culture. But I'm here to tell you that God likes submission. Okay, God likes submission. Um, The Bible says that God resists the proud, um, but he gives grace to the humble. And we as Christians, we we have to get this submission thing down. Submission to God, submission to each other, submitting to his word. We have to be willing to say that I could be wrong. And uh, and I have an opinion about something, but I, I could be wrong. And, uh, and this is hard for us sometimes to deal with, um, especially when we're walking in our flesh. And I, w- I just want to say a couple things about submission. Submission doesn't mean that you are inferior. A lot of times when we submit to something, we, we, we feel that we are, you know, are going to be inferior or less than and and so to the, to the wives in here that are called to submit to their husbands, the Bible says that the wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. It doesn't mean that he is superior to you. It's not a, a less than or greater than type of equation. Um, but it's just, it's God's divine structure um, and it has to be respected. And you will, so submission is very unnatural to us. It's not something that we like to do. And this is really how God works. Um, he uses, uh, you know, God's economy and how he does things is just completely flip-flop. So he, 
He uses, we, you know, we in our, in our American way of thinking or our Western way of thinking, we think of power as, you know, we will overcome. We will, we will, we will move ahead and we will get our own way at all costs. Um, and really, you know, capitalism um, in, in the American way does that. But God's economy is flip-flopped. Submission is saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to sort of not be first. I'm going to put myself in the back seat. I'm going to put myself in the position of weakness or I, that I'm wrong in a, in a position of humbleness. And then that is where God gives you power. That's where you get authority in the kingdom of God. Whereas in the world, you get authority in a lot of ways by just going after it. In the kingdom of God, you get authority by submission. And I, I mean, we could do an entire you know, Bible study on this subject, but we're just sort of uh, hitting on it tonight. It's, it's God's divine structure. And it has to be respected. We submit to things every day. We submit to the laws of the land. At least we try to. On the way here, I submitted to the speed limit. And, uh, you know, if it says 25 miles an hour, I'm going to try to drive 25 miles an hour. You submit to that. And, and through that submission, there comes there's safety in it. There's, there's safety in submitting to the law that is over us. And that goes in, in the divine order that God has set up as well. There's safety in submitting to the divine order over top of us. So we oftentimes look at submission as weakness, but, but really it's just weakness in the flesh. And the Bible says that when we are weak in the flesh, that we're strong in the spirit. And God's order will give you power. Will give, you will have authority through submission. And this is not how we would do it. This is not how we would do it in our flesh. But it's how God does it. It's just simply how God does it. I've had some moments in my life where I just had to submit. And I had to just give it up and, and let it go. Give it to God. Say, God, I, I thought I had a strong opinion about this. And I think I'm right, but I may be wrong. And God, I'm going to put this situation, I'm going to put this circumstance in, in your hands. And when you submit to that, God just works it out. God just works it out. So again, that's just a little bit on submission. Um, it's something that, uh, that, again, I could teach, you know, we could teach a, a whole lesson on that. But it's something that we as Christians, um, we have to learn. And uh, sometimes it, you pray, you know, you pray that God will help you. You know, I pray all the time that, that God would help me with my pride because I, I know that I have an ego. I can admit that, that I deal with an ego sometimes. And, uh, and God gives me moments where he's trying to help me with it. And a lot of times my flesh just wants to counter it again with more flesh, and God's given me an opportunity to humble myself. So when you, when you pray that God would help you with your ego and help you with your pride, when those moments come, just submit to it. Just say, all right, I'm going to step back. I don't need to say anything right now. I don't need to defend myself. And uh, that's hard. That's very difficult sometimes because we want to defend ourselves. We don't want our name to be defamed. We don't want to look bad. But I, oftentimes in those moments, I, uh, sometimes I pass the test and sometimes I don't. But I'm going to keep asking God to help me with it. Amen? Verse 4 says, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. So we're talking about authority, we're, we're talking about headship and submission, 
And then Paul goes into talking about a man having his head covered and a woman having her head um, uncovered. And in verse 5, at the very end of that verse, there's a word that it's shaven. So immediately we know that we are talking about hair. We're talking about hair. In verse 6 it says, For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. There's another word. Shorn means to cut the hair. It says, but if, but if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, so if it be a shame for a woman to cut her hair or shave her, her head, let her be covered. So Paul starts out this, this chapter talking about the divine order, submission, um, authority, and then he goes into talking about the, our hair, talking about a man's hair and a woman's hair, and particularly the woman's hair being a sign or a symbol um, of submission, that she is um, under her authority. It says in verse 7, it says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. So because of this covering that a woman has with her hair, um, she has power. There is actual authority that a woman has because of this covering of hair. In verse 11 it says, Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. In verse 13, Paul says, listen, you can, so basically what Paul was saying, that a man should not have long hair, and that a woman should not cut her hair. Um, We go back up to uh, verse 6 again. I just want to read this in in a different translation. It says, yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair. But since it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaven, she should wear a covering. So Paul is talking about the hair of both men and women, uh, that a man should not have long hair and that a woman should not cut her hair. That's what, that's what Paul says. So in verse 13, Paul says, listen, he says, judge yourselves. He says, judge, judge yourselves. He says, is it comely or do you think it's right that a woman pray unto God uncovered. He says, do you think it's right that a woman should pray to God with short hair? Verse 14 says, doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? He says, so listen, just, you know, just, by, just by the very nature of things, judging yourselves, don't you think it's, it's wrong for a woman to pray with short hair? And doesn't even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a shame unto him? In verse 15, but if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. Okay, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, because this sort of teaching could maybe be contentious, and maybe even, maybe even in the culture, in the Corinthian culture, it, there was, it was maybe tight when he was writing this and when they were reading this. He says, but if any seem to be contentious, he says, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. So here we have teaching on the divine order, authority, and the hair. And this... Uh, and this, this teaching was a, a universal teaching. Um, some would argue that this teaching was just for the Corinthians, that it was, it was cultural. It was a, a cultural thing for just back in the Bible days. Um, that would be what most people would say. Surely, and a lot of people would talk, you know, would, would get into this chapter and talk about a veil, but, but we, we understand that from the very beginning, um, Paul was referring to the hair 
as the covering, not an actual veil. Now, they did wear veils back then, and that was cultural. But from the very beginning, we understand that he's talking about hair. And uh, so this is a, a universal teaching. It wasn't just cultural. Um, it wasn't just for the Corinthians for, for this particular time. And in verse 16, Paul basically says, if you want to argue about this, we, we don't have any other custom. He said, neither the churches of God. Paul didn't just teach this just in the Corinthian church, but he taught this everywhere he went. Whether the church that he was teaching in was, was primarily Jewish, he taught this. Whether it was primarily Gentile, he taught this. This was a custom that went to every church of God. Um, it was a doctrine that went past just culture. So it was a, a universal teaching. And just as the teaching of submission in Scripture isn't a, just a Bible days thing, but it's for us today as well. The same with this teaching. The covering of the hair is a sign or a symbol of a woman's submission um, to her husband um, and to God. Amen? This is what the Bible says. Um, keep in mind, it, it, you know, it wouldn't do any good for a woman to have uncut hair if the woman had a rebellious and contentious attitude. Okay, so the long hair, the uncut hair by itself will not make the woman holy in God's sight. But God uh, desires for a lady to have holiness both inwardly um, and outwardly. And that outward expression is a sign of, of inward submission. Um, she should have a modest spirit and also show the outwardly with the uncut hair um, as that sign. So this was a universal teaching um, from the very beginning. So something interesting that Paul used in, in teaching this is he used nature to teach this. Paul used the universal knowledge of the natural to teach us. And Paul also used nature, even when he was in Romans chapter one, when he was talking about you know, homosexuality and, and all this sort of thing. He's like, doesn't even, you know, it's just natural. This is a very unnatural thing. Um, so there, was t there were times where Paul would just use nature um, to teach this. So, so since the beginning of time in all areas of the world, women have had long hair and men have had short hair. It's just common amongst us. It's just, it's just kind of a known. You know, when you look at the doors to the bathrooms, you see that the woman in the picture has long hair and a skirt, right? You look at the man's picture, he has short hair. Actually, he's bald and he has pants on. It's just universal. It's common knowledge, okay? And the world today and our culture is really going against the natural things of God. You know, the things that we used to think were just a given, or common sense are, are becoming um, very normalized in the world. Everything's, you know, just backwards. Uh, Paul, uh, he said in thir verse 13, he says, Judge in yourselves, is it right that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a shame unto him? Paul asks, is it right for a woman to have short hair? Doesn't nature teach that it's a shame for a man to have long hair? Uh, one specific uh, way nature, uh, nature teaches, teaches this is baldness. Okay, I, don't, I see some receding hairlines in the house. And they're all on men. So since Brother Wendelin volunteered himself, it's a very normal thing to see a man like Brother Wendelin bald. It's just normal. Actually, you have some sons that are 30 years younger than you that are, are pretty bald. And it's pretty just, it's kind of normal. But you see that on a woman, which you very rarely do see, but if you ever do, it's, it's, it's an unnatural thing and it's probably due to some hormonal imbalance or maybe even a disease. So doesn't even nature itself 
teach you that it's a shame for a man to have long hair. And again, I'm not, I hope I, I don't want to come across mean-spirited, but when I see a guy with a ponytail, it just seems unnatural to me. Or what they call a man bun. There's no such thing as a man bun. It's a woman bun. And, uh, but, <laughs> you know, I could be cited for hate speech for what I'm talking about tonight. And of course, we don't, you know, we, we, we love the sinner, hate the sin, right? But it's be- like, if you would have said what I just said 50 years ago, it would have been normal. You know, Pastor Chuppy tells stories of his cowboy uncles. They, someone showed up to, I think it was at Pastor Chuppy's mom's wedding when she got remarried to, to um, Grandpa Loman. You know, someone showed up to his wedding with a ponytail. It was a man. They took him out back and shaved off his head. I'm not saying that's right either. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is, is it was an unnatural thing that they didn't want there. And th- this is what scripture says. So one specific way that it's taught to us is just, is just baldness. This is one of the ways God used also as gender distinction. This is one of the very natural ways God uses as gender distinction. God created both male and female, and he created them separate and to be distinct from each other. Um, they are to be, um, he created them different, and that's okay. And it seems like the world is messing with that, that order. We're trying to blend the two. That's not the will of God. He created them different, male and female. He did this for a reason. And it's a very natural thing. Like when we see a, a lady and we see a man, there should be no guessing as to what they are. Because God wants them to be distinct from each other. And we, we know that it's a, the Bible says that it's a, an abomination unto God for a man um, to dress in women's clothing and for a woman to dress in man's clothing. That's what it says in Deuteronomy. And uh, of course, you know, we all, our culture would still agree that it's, it's wrong for a man to wear a dress, okay? But all of a sudden, women in pants has become normal, and of course, we understand that that was all brought in by, you know, what was her name? Rosie the Riveter and all that sort of thing with World War I, World War II, where women left the home, went into the workplace. And when they left the home, went into the workplace and started riveting warships, they had to start dressing like men. And that's not the will of God. We, we call that cross-dressing. Like it, it's the will of God for women to look like women and for men to look like men. From afar off, there's scriptures in the Bible where, you know, there was somebody, I can't remember where it was at, but somebody was walking afar off and they knew that it was a man or a woman by how they dressed, okay? The long hair, the skirt, and, and even back then, the robes, there was a difference between a man's robe and a, and a woman's robe, amen? And, and this, was, uh, this was, again, common knowledge. So even Paul, when he was teaching this, if there was any Jews in the church, this was sort of common knowledge. This was, this was natural. They understood this. And, and so we have some other scriptures um, that I'll just breeze through uh, really quick. Uh, Jeremiah 7.29. Jeremiah says, Cut off thine hair, O Jerusalem, and cast it away, and take up a lamentation on high places. For the Lord hath rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. So Israel was in a backslidden state at this time, and God says, cut off thine hair, O Jerusalem, and cast it away. So God commanded her to cut off her hair as a sign of shame, disgrace, and mourning. And cutting the hair you know, didn't represent a normal godly action, but a shameful act of a backslidden people. And of course, God referred to Jerusalem in the feminine, Okay, you know, he called it her. And uh, so, O Jerusalem was, he was referring to her, cut off your hair. 
We read through the New Testament, uh, it was common that women had long hair. In Luke 7, we read of an unnamed woman who washed the feet of Jesus and wiped the feet with her hair. Okay, we, it was long hair. Uh, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, anointed Christ's feet with costly ointment and wiped um, his feet with her hair. So again, the women had long hair. In 1 Timothy 2 and 9, it says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. So the, the mention here of broided hair, and from what I understand and what I read, this is just a, uh, a braid of hair that they would, you know, line gold in the braid. And so in order to have braided hair, in order to line gold within the braid, it has to be long, okay? Um, so with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. And this is the scripture that we use. This is why we don't believe, you know, how we dress. Well, our bodies aren't an ornament and a, a billboard and a showcase for people to look at, okay? And of course, a lot of this teaching tonight is geared towards women um, because this is what, you know, a lot of what First Corinthians is talking about in this particular passage. But, you know, women do care more about what they look like than men do. And I believe that's why there's more scripture in the Bible talking about what women dress and look like than there is about what men dress and, and look like. And uh, this is, you know, you know, not to adorn themselves with um, broided hair or gold, that's what the Bible says. Women, you shouldn't wear gold. I don't think men should either. Or pearls. It's going to get tight in here for a minute. Or diamonds. Or costly array. This is why we, we, we take a stance on jewelry. And that's what the Bible says. Here's my stance on wedding rings. You guys all ready? I'm all right with wedding rings. I think if you're wearing a wedding ring for the right reason, that you want to walk in the mall with your five kids and, and you want people to know that you're married, it's all right. But don't let your wedding ring be jewelry, gold, diamonds, don't let it be your excuse to wear jewelry. This is what the, I don't know how to argue with this, with this verse. I really don't. It's just, it simply says, costly apparel, gold, or pearls. Can I get an amen? Don't let your wedding ring become jewelry. First Peter 3 and 3 says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, referring to the women, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. So Paul said it in 1 Timothy, Peter says it in 1 Peter. It says, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in the which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. And while we're on the subject, referring to women, since I'm kind of beating on you a little bit, um, with hair, um, I don't think it's right for us to dye our hair. Okay, if you're a blonde, God made you a blonde because he wanted you a blonde. Okay, if you, have, if you have black hair, God wanted you to have black hair. To the elderly, if you got gray hair poking through, it's all right. It's all right. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 31, it says, the hoary head or the gray head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. Okay, so let that gray hair poke through and let it be a crown of glory. It's okay. We don't need to diet. We don't need to pretend. We don't need to try to stay young and that you're not fooling anybody usually. Okay. Amen. 
This isn't stuff that we talk about a whole lot, okay? But tonight it's coming, and it's just the word of God, okay? So there, you want to know what? There, oh man, I'm running out of time. I'll touch on this really quick. There are several objections, and I just wanted to kind of touch base on these. I mean, talking about the women with long hair, um, it, seem, it, seems, it seems like we just completely understand that a man should have short hair and he should wear pants. But when it comes to the women, it's like the devil just has attacked that. Again, because the devil knows that the woman is very worried about her appearance. I think it's for a reason. The world has come against that. It seems more harsh than, than on the man. But there, so just some objections that we, we oftentimes run into, you know, oftentimes people will bring up the Nazarite vow um, that prohibited the men from cutting their hair. You read of this in the Old, Old Testament. So they would ask, why did God establish this vow if it is shameful for a man to have long hair? Um, understand that this vow usually was temporary in nature. Um, oftentimes they would, uh, they would shave their head when, it w- when the vow was done and they would offer it up as a, as a peace offering. Um, in scripture, only two men um, definitely had made a lifelong Nazarite vow and that was Samson and, and Samuel. Um, they did not choose this for themselves. God and, and their parents um, chose this for them before their birth and the long hair was a sign that set them apart for from a normal male in society. They were, this vow really set them apart from all the other males in society. Um, It was probably worn as a badge of shame uh, for the sake of God, for God's sake. And everyone in Israel um, knew about this vow, so it wasn't considered effeminate as it would be otherwise. Um, so, so sometimes we take these things and we're like, well, you know, there was two men in, in the Old Testament that had made this vow and had long hair. And um, so we, j- just because there, there was an exception to this doesn't give us cause to justify um, and violate uh, what 1 Corinthians 11 says. So there's some uh, exceptions to it in the Old Covenant. To, you know, just as we don't use Jesus' shame and nakedness on the cross to, to dress him modestly today. That was the exception, right? That happened one time. But we know that we're supposed to dress modestly. So we can't take those situations and make a rule out of it. Um, another big objection to a woman's long hair is people will say not all women can grow long hair. Um, and that is true. Some women can grow really long hair. You know, it's down to the, down to the floor and and some nationalities of women, particularly Africans, um, cannot grow really long hair. Um, it, it becomes brittle and, and that sort of thing. And, and God understands that. Okay, God understood this. And that's why it's important to let it grow. So then in the sight of God, it's long. Okay, Paul said, but if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. So who says, who says what's long and what's not? Okay, in the sight of God, I, so any, any cutting of the hair would be in opposition of what God has asked. God says, I want you to have long hair. So if you cut it, you are literally going completely against what God has asked. Does that make sense? So in the sight of God, He's asked for a long hair. Just don't cut it. Let it grow. That's how you have long hair. You let it grow. You don't cut it. Does that make sense? And I could go on and on about this tonight, and, but it's just a, this is a, a doctrine in scriptural. This is completely Bible. And, uh, and women, if you'll say, I know, like when, my, I know when we first came into church, this was something that, you know, people struggle with and, you know, they talk about split ends and all that sort of thing. I'm telling you, if you'll just submit to the word of God, he'll work it all out for you, okay? There's power in, in submission, and, uh, and it's just the will of God. Okay, I'm gonna stop there. I think we're in verse, we are in verse, what are we in? Verse 16, so um, next week I will be gone at general conference, 
Um, but the week after that, we'll pick up and finish the rest of chapter 11. And then we're going to get into 12, 13, and 14, which are, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts and all that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm excited about that going into 1 Corinthians. But I did want to switch directions a little bit, if I could tonight. And I, again, I, I, do, a, I do like these series, but sometimes I do feel handcuffed by them. Um, I'm just going to touch base on a, another subject tonight for just a few minutes. Ephesians chapter 6. If we could turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 10. Ephesians 6 and verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. How many know that we are in, we are in a war? Okay, this, uh, this walk for God, it's great. I love being a, a child of God, but not only am I a child of God, but I'm a soldier. We're soldiers called into God's army, and we are in war. We're not in war with each other. Okay, we're not, I'm not in war with another brother in the church or sister, but we are at war against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And verse 13 says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spear, which is the word of God. And a lot of times we, we stop right there because we get the full picture of the armor of God. We get the helmet and the breastplate and the shield of faith and that our feet are, are shod with the, with the preparation of the gospel. We get the helmet of salvation. We get the sword of the spirit. And we, we have this soldier that's completely equipped uh, for war, okay, to pull down strongholds, to, to, to walk over spiritual wickedness. We have this this soldier depicted in this scripture that is ready for war. Amen? And this is a, a thought that I just, I cannot get over. I felt it in prayer about a week ago, and I just had several confirmations um, that we are called to war. We are called to war. And we are a soldier that is completely equipped but a soldier that is completely equipped and just does nothing is not really a soldier that's doing or fulfilling the mission that it's called to do. And if you go to verse 18, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And I've just, I felt, I felt nudged. I actually, I, I was just, I, I was trying to get through stand conference. I didn't want to interrupt stand conference with this, but I just truly feel that God wants us to get serious about prayer. This is how the soldier fights. This is when the soldier who is completely equipped moves forward, is in prayer. This is really how we overcome the enemy. This is how we pull down strongholds. This is how we tackle spiritual wickedness, is through prayer. Okay, we cannot fight spiritual battles in the flesh. 
We will lose every single time. Paul says, praying always with all prayer. And I'm not sure exactly what he meant by that, but he's saying, listen, whatever type of prayer you know, pray it. If you know how to intercede, intercede. Amen. If you know how to pray the word, pray the word. If, you, if it's loud prayer, if it's quiet prayer, if it's, if it's shouting prayer or prayer that you pray on your knees, pray it. With all prayer, this is how we fight the battle. And I just, I feel a tug and a pull um, for our church. You listen, I, I, I appreciate all the, the cool things that we do. Right? I just, like I, you know, I was thinking about Stan Conference and, and I, I think it's a blessing to the church and even a blessing to the district and we're gonna continue to do it. But we, we can't use some of these things as crutches or as maybe excuses um, to draw closer to God. You know, we were in church for six days straight. And uh, that's a lot of church, and I was blessed by it. But we can't just go from one conference or one camp to the next. That we've got to, to really learn to dig our heels in into prayer. And, to, and to, we, we're not going to fight these battles with Friday night conferences, okay? Now, I'm all about Friday night at camp. Okay, I believe God moves, God touches people. I'm all about stand come. We're going to have Brother Cornwell come. He's going to get us all excited about Bible studies. I'm, all ex- I'm, I'm fine with that. We're going to keep doing that stuff. But we've got to dig our heels into having a prayer life. And this is how we, we are really going to see the things of God that we want to see. And there's just been promises and prophetic words spoken over this church, and, and I, I believe it's going to happen. But we've got to pray. We've got to fight. You know, the Bible says, if my people, if my people, well, what? Pray, humble themselves. What else is there? Seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then, so there is an if then. So God says, you know, God has this, he gives us a prophetic word and this is what God intends to do. Okay, but there's an if then to this actually happening. God wants to heal the land. Okay, he wants to send healing. He, 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 he's, he, he has revival already all planned out. Okay, we believe that. I believe that God wants revival for Bismarck. I believe that God has, has spoken some things over this church of, of growth, both numerical and, and maturity. That's God's intention. But if we completely stop praying right now, it won't happen. If my people. And this is hitting me just as hard as it's hitting you. So I just, I believe that we really need to dig our heels into prayer and into fasting. I believe that we were encouraged and exhorted to get into the word at Stan Conference. And, uh, and the truth of it is, is, is you know, Pastor Chuppy is, is sick. And, uh, and God has spoken healing. That's what God intends to do. I believe that. So over the course of the last two weeks, I've had two intercessors communicate to me that we've got to fight for this healing, okay? And sometimes when, some, when just one person comes, I'm like, okay, well, but then the next one came. And then on top of that, I've had two prophets of God both tell me the same exact thing, 
that what, what he's dealing with is, is spiritual. If you would have listened to the last Mayo meeting that they had, and I was there, they're all confused about what's going on. They don't really know what's going on. They were throwing all, all sorts of words and you know, acronyms, and, and they, they don't know what's going on. And I, I believe it's a spiritual it's a spiritual attack. And just, just to say, I'm not normally one to blame the enemy for everything. I don't like to blame that. I don't like to give the devil credit. So I'm, I'm a little reluctant to always point at the devil. Okay, it's just kind of how I am. But this is a spiritual attack. And church, we need to fight. We need to get serious about prayer and serious about fasting. And uh, I believe God will begin to open up some things when we pray and when we fast. And uh, the biggest enemy, I believe, to what I'm talking about tonight is our idle hands and our waste of time. I believe we are busy, I understand that, but the truth of it is, is is we find time to do the things that we want to do. We really do. I I really, and I'm I'm, I'm right in there with you, like I I like to go fishing. I I can find time to go fishing for a few hours if I really wanna go, you just make time. Well, the truth of it is, is we've got to make time for prayer. We've got to be intentional about fasting. We've got to to make it a priority to be in the word. And these are probably one of the biggest enemies of what I'm talking about. It's really nothing to spend two hours on YouTube, you know, researching our next purchase of a vehicle or or whatever, and we can do that like that. No problem. Lay in bed at night with your phones on your face. But to find time to pray. So, I'm calling, to the, I'm calling the church to pray and fast and just to get serious and praying about the situation. Like I believe like, you know, Brother Holloway told me, he's like, listen, he's healed. God's spoken it. He said it's gonna be up to the church to move forward. It's Brother Holloway told me. Another man of God just today told me the exact same thing. I called I called him today. I said, listen, I'm struggling with this. I don't know how to hand, like this is a little bit unfamiliar territory for me too. And I said, listen, I don't know how to handle this, but this is what I feel. This is what, you know, has been spoken to me. And I I told him, he said, listen, he said, God told me yesterday in prayer that this is exactly what's going on. So there's a spiritual attack And I believe God is waiting for us. We're fully equipped. You guys have been in church a lot. You're fully equipped. As a soldier, you have faith. You have the word. You have the helmet of salvation. There's people in this room reaching out. Your feet are shod with the the gospel. Your loins are girt with truth. You're equipped but it's time for the soldier to start marching. And I believe that God is calling us to march, to move forward. And we do that through prayer. and We do that through fasting. So I'm just wondering if for the next, I, I, I'm still sort of wrestling around with, you know, you know, how many days we should fast, and I know everybody is 
on a different fasting level. There's some in the room that have fasted for 20, 30 days. There's some in the room that have maybe only fasted one or two days at a time. What I would ask is, until I get back from conference, I'm going to be here Sunday. I want to be gone midweek, and I'll be back that Sunday. I'm only going to miss midweek. But for the next two weeks, so this week and next week, uh, if you would commit to three days of fasting each week and commit yourself to prayer, and then when I get home that Sunday after conference, I, I feel like we, it's not going to be done there, but I feel like God has, he wants us to continue in this. But uh, one day of fasting, I think we all have done that. We've maybe done that on a consistent basis. Three days of fasting will we'll put you to the test. I'm talking about three days in a row, Okay three days in a row for this week and next week and just be in focused prayer. And, and however God uses you in prayer, just, just pray that way. If, you're, if you are an interceder, intercede. If you, if you pray the word, pray. Just pr- I'm not, you know, we, I, we could go through all these lessons on how to pray. I don't think that's necessarily the problem. I just think we need to pray. I think if we just do it to, I know that there's time in prayer where it seems like God is teaching me to prayer. And you will notice that as you're fasting and praying that, and I believe that fasting just, uh, how I liken it to is it just, it, it takes the layers down. It takes the static out of your communication with God. And when you begin to fast, you have less, you're, you're literally going against your flesh. And we understand that we all like to eat. I like to eat. And, and there's nothing we like more than food. And if you, if you don't believe me, that's, that's the thing that you like the most. Just wait till the third day. And you will understand that you really like food. But when we learn to push away the plate, okay, there's, there's flesh that is crucified in our life. And that, that flesh is what really gets in the way of you and God, so in fasting, you're putting that flesh away and you're crucifying it. And it just seems that there's more of a direct communication between you and God. And in fasting, you know, we, we oftentimes will fast for a situation and I'm, I'm not opposed to that. I think we should um, often, but the, the fasting isn't necessarily what, what, what solves the situation or makes God answer the situation. But what happens in fasting is it, gives you a clearer picture of what God is doing. Okay? So, I believe God has called us, he has given us marching orders that we need to move forward. Okay? And there's a mission ahead of us in prayer. And I believe what the fasting is going to do, it's going to give us a clear picture of the mission plans. Okay? So, prayer and fasting. You will, and you will notice that you just have a, that, God will, that God's voice will become clear. Okay? And you will also begin to pray more according to his will in fasting. A lot of times our prayers aren't answered because we're not praying his will. Because there's all this flesh in the way. So fasting removes those layers of flesh and you will begin to pray the will of God and you also will begin to hear the voice of God clear. Amen? We've got to pray. This is what we're called to do. We can't, like I'm all about church. Let's do church. Let's have good church. Okay? Let's have good church. But this building and what happens in here is, is really a small part of our daily walk with God. Amen. So, prayer and fasting. I know there's some that are coming to the church in the morning. That's great. I, I guess my plans are is, you know, next year for the first quarter of the church, we're going to have morning prayer again. I, I think a lot of people really enjoy that and benefit out of it. But we can't, I, I, I don't constantly want to have to push and have programs and have all these things to get us to pray. I want this to be something that we just do because we, it's what we do. 
But I think God has sort of called us to a, a special mission. And uh, in this situation with Pastor Chuppy and, and the things that God has spoken, I just feel like we need to really enter into a season of deep prayer and fasting. Amen. I wonder if we could all stand. I know I went from, <laughs> went from hair to fasting. Well, at least there won't be no hair in your food. Well, let's just pray. Uh, Sister Chubby, when are you guys leaving? Next Tuesday? Thursday, okay. So they'll be leaving next week. They got to go to Mayo. Again, I know the doctors are doing all they can, but I, I, I just believe that this is a battle that's going to be not won through medicine. It's going to be won through, through prayer and fasting. Let's just go to him tonight. Let's just ask God to really just completely give us direction in what he's called us to do. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy tonight. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the instruction that you've given us. God, I pray that we would take your word, God, that we would hide it in our hearts tonight. God, I pray that we would receive it in Jesus' name. God, I pray that this church here tonight, God, would answer the call, oh God, that you've put on us, God, to prayer and to fasting. God, that there would be a season, God, that we would give ourselves more deeply, God, Lord, to, to talk into you, God, to spiritual warfare, God, that you would teach us, oh God, how to war. God, in the name of Jesus, God, that you would give us the, what we need, God, to war against these principles principalities, God, God, against the spiritual wickedness, God, against this spiritual attack, oh God, in the name of Jesus, God, that every man, woman, and child, God, would begin to pray, God, that we would begin to fast, God, give ourselves to your word, oh God, that we would move forward, God, you've equipped us, God, you've given us everything we need, oh God, Lord, help us move forward and march forward, God, in the name of Jesus, we love you tonight, God, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, God, to be a part of the church. God, I pray that you would just have your hand upon us tonight. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God, that we could answer the call.